I'm uh, thrilled to be here this morning. It's a real privilege. It's been a number of years since we've been back to Tomball, and uh, we're just really excited about what God's doing in this church. We've heard some of the stories. And uh, my privilege this morning is to open the Word of God with you and to talk um, about what was accomplished in the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Often we call it the Acts of the Apostles. But in fact, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And I like that because that's exactly what you and I are. We're the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit. We're the arms, we're the mouth, we're the feet. We take the gospel to different countries. And Kathy and I have had the privilege of being Tomball's long arm into France an extension of your ministry here. And we're very, very indebted to this church, grateful to the Lord for you, for standing with us for so many years, almost 30 years now in France. And our children have grown, and we have three children. Um, Our oldest is Rebecca. She's in California. She works full-time with Chosen People Ministries, um, working among the Jewish people. And our son just got married six months ago, and he, as well as our younger daughter, are living in the suburbs of Boston right now, in Worcester, if you know that city. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3. And so I'd uh, just invite you to turn to that chapter, if you have your Bibles. I, I ran into one of the members of this church yesterday, when I was out with Jim, and he, uh, he asked me a question. He said, well, who are you going to be speaking to? All the men are gone on the retreat. So this morning I'm thrilled to see all these people and there's actually a lot of men out there. So I don't know if that means you should have gone to the retreat or, but as far as I'm concerned, welcome here and I hope God will minister to us through his word. So I'm going to read just uh, the first 16 verses of Acts chapter 3. Acts 3, 1 to 16. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at them, at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. I'm sure we know what he was expecting to get. He was a professional beggar and had been sitting there most of his, all of his life. So he's expecting money or silver or gold. But Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can see. So this is an amazing story. It's pretty forthright, though, actually. At first glance, we realize that it's a story of power. Power in the name of Jesus Christ. Pentecost has already happened. Jesus has already met with his disciples on Mount Olives, outside of the Bethany, and he's said to them, all power is given unto me, all power. There is no power of any type or fashion in this world that measures up to the power of Jesus Christ. And he said to his disciples, all power is given to me. Go in my power in the power of my name and finish what I began. Finish what I started. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. The power is going to come. And when you receive this power, this power is going to enable you to go out in my name, in my power, to do exactly what I've been doing, to finish the task that I started. Go in my power. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke in tongues. And you know the story. You've already studied that. And as a result of this power that came upon the disciples, what did they do? They went out and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. This is a story about the power of Jesus. And this very same power that Jesus delegated to his disciples that day before he went back to the Father is at yours and my disposal. For we are filled with the Holy Spirit, are we not? And we have the name of Jesus Christ stamped on our identity. And there's power in that name. It's a story about the power of Jesus Christ. It's also a story of healing. Obviously, this man was healed from being crippled. And it's a story of life-changing transformation. We read in verse 10, they recognized this guy as the man who'd been sitting at the beautiful gate Chapter 4 says, for 40 years, he's sitting there. Everybody knew him. Everyone recognized him. But now something's changed. And the text in verse 10 says, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit there begging, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's a story of transformation, both physical and spiritual, internal transformation. But if you read the story closely, At second glance, you can't get away from the fact that it's also a story of compassion. Why do I say that? It's a story of compassion because in verse 1, you see that Peter and John are doing what? Are they out to find a beggar? Are they they going out to um, find someone who's suffering, who's been born crippled so they can heal him? No. That's not at all their purpose. They're headed out to pray. They're on a mission. They're going to go to the temple and they're going to pray. That's what their objective is. And as they go, 
they see this man. The text says they looked at him. They said, look at us. They must have gotten down on his poverty level, on his level of need, on his level of suffering. You know, little children, um, have you ever, if you ever really want to communicate to a child, you need to get on your hands and knees and look them in the eye and realize what their perspective of life is. Instead of always looking up like that at all the adults around them, we get down on their level. And I think that that's what happened in this story. Peter and John have an agenda. It's three in the afternoon. It's time to pray. And so they're going to the temple. But on their way, they stop. And their hearts are filled with compassion for this beggar. You know what? I'm going to call this beggar Adam. Because Adam in Hebrew means man. We don't have his name. We know his age. So we know how long he sat there begging. He's not expecting to be healed. He's been doing this so long. He doesn't. He's just looking for a handout. Some human resources so I can get through the day. And Peter and John don't have human resources. And so they just give them, give him what they have. And what they have transformed his life, both physically and spiritually. They gave him Jesus Christ. They gave him the power of the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he jumped up and he began praising the Lord. And so it's a story as well of compassion. Um, on the part of Peter and John. I think it's important to realize that if the church of Jesus Christ, of which you and I are a part of, whether it's in Tomball, Texas, or in Paris, France, or in Haiti, um, if we are to exemplify our Lord Jesus Christ, then we must, I almost want to say, ooze compassion for those around us. We need to be aware of what's happening around us. Many of us have an agenda, but we need to be able to look around and see who's suffering and to help them. All power is given to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Now go finish the task. If Christ was anything, he was compassionate. What's interesting about this miracle is that it seems to be the first miracle of this kind after Pentecost. Up until this point, Jesus is the main healer. And he's going around healing all those who are sick that come to him. He's got power. He is Christ. He is the Lord of the universe. But now who's healing? The disciples are healing. It's the first miracle of healing in the name of Jesus Christ on the part of his disciples. And I find that very significant in this text. Um, What was the mandate of Christ? Well, it was to heal. It was to bind up the brokenhearted. It was to set the captives free. It was to give sight to the blind. It was to heal the leper. It was to announce uh, the year of the Lord. And now Christ has left his disciples behind. He's gone to be with the Father. And he said, as you wait for my return, do the same. Go out in my name and be compassionate to those around you. This is also the mandate of the church of Jesus Christ. Most of Christ's miracles, if you remember, were motivated by compassion. Twelve times in the New Testament, it says that Jesus Christ was moved by compassion for those like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion for the 5,000 people who sat on the countryside hungry. And so he performed a miracle and fed them. Christ was a Lord of compassion. 
it's understandable then that to carry out the task of the Great Commission, the church, you and I, must be a compassionate church in order to carry out what Christ already began. What is compassion and how do we carry it out? Compassion um, is a Latin word. It comes from two words, paticum, which means to suffer with. It's not sympathy. It's not sitting back in our uh, homes or in front of our televisions or over a very expensive meal at a restaurant and feeling sorry for what happened to the people in Haiti or what's happened to the people in Ecuador or what's happened. Compassion is a doing verb. It always motivates an action on our part, whether it's prayer or giving or going or getting down on the level of somebody and looking them in the eye and giving them the truth of Jesus Christ. Compassion is a doing verb. It prompts you to action. We were in Sarasota as we began our trip in the States about six weeks ago, and someone, for as we left Sarasota, had given us some food for our trip. And so we had food in the car, and we were tra- traveling thousands of miles. And so it's great to have food in the car. We don't have to stop and waste time. As we pulled out of a parking lot, there was a man standing there with a sign And the sign said, I really am hungry. If you could help me, God bless you. And Kathy and I looked at each other, and both of us almost instantaneously felt compassion for this man. And we we said, uh, we should give him the food. Yeah. So we rolled the window down and gave him the food. And he thanked us, said, God bless you. And sometimes... You're not sure if it's really if they're really hungry or not, or they're just trying to play on you. Well, we pull away, and he sat down immediately, opened up the bag, and began to eat. It's just a small example of compassion. Um, we were in Rhode Island two weeks ago, and uh, just before the service started, the worship leader got up and thanked the church for praying for him through the difficult time he'd just come. And for those who are new and visitors, he said, if you don't if you're not aware of what happened, and I hope this never happens to any of you, my wife and I just buried our grandchild. And it just, it was amazing. Um, Both Kath and I got very emotional, and our our eyes welled with tears, and we looked at each other, and it's like, what's going on? And we just felt deep compassion for this man. You got to know that this is a Holy Spirit. This is a power of Jesus Christ thing. Compassion comes from the heart of Jesus. Compassion comes from the Father. And so, what do we do with this compassion? How does it compel us? Well, we went up and found him afterwards, and we just said, listen, what happened? Tell us your story. And he told us the story, a sad story, of how this grandchild died and how they had to bury him. And what do we do with that kind of a need? Well, we told him that we would pray for him. And sometimes prayer seems like, boy, that's not enough. Um, We have a prayer conference every year in the second week of June in France. And people come from all over the world just to pray for our ministry for one week. And it's always kind of the same reaction. People go, I want to go on a missions trip. Well, I'm going to build and I'm going to fix and I'm going to feed. And people often say when we invite them to the prayer conference, well, what are we going to do? And we go, well, we're going to pray. 
No, no, no. I mean, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to pray. Now, you don't understand. I mean, like, do. Do you know that um, when Jesus looked out across the multitudes and felt compassion for them, the disciples came to him and they said, Lord, there's so much need. How in the world? Where do we start? How can we meet the need? What do we do? And he said, well, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his field. Prayer is a first response to compassion. And it's a powerful response. Don't forget that. Our daughter, Deborah, she's a midwife. And um, she did her internship in the slums of Manila in the Philippines for a year. And she has a tender heart of compassion for people who are suffering. Uh, she looks at the, the rate of infant mortality in the world, and it's alarming in the 21st century. And she says, I have to do something about that. I'm going to dedicate my life to saving women's lives and babies' lives that are living in the slums. After the tsunami, she had a passion to go and help. So she was going to Moody Bible Institute at the time, and she was on a team, and they went to India for three weeks just to help, to console, to comfort, to build um, compassion. And it's everywhere. It's all around us every day. There's opportunities to love, to, to express God's love uh, through our acts of compassion. We were just a few days ago with a pastor and his wife as they poured out their hearts to us about their situation, their struggle, some of the tension they're having in their church. And we, we just had compassion for them. We've known them for many years. We love this couple. And so we prayed together for them. God, intervene through your power and act on their behalf. Um, I sat across from a dear friend of mine in Rhode Island as we ate breakfast at the bowling alley, which is our traditional meeting spot. And he poured out his heart about the, the pain that he was suffering with his wife who just one day decided, uh, I don't want any more of this, and she left him. And as he shared his pain and his heartbreak, I just began to cry. Because I love this guy. And I hurt for him. And I feel so, sometimes so, as I'm sure you do too, so, so helpless in these types of situations. World calamities, suffering. But it's out there. And Christ has mandated us to do his work until he comes. And a large part of that work for the church is compassion. So compassion is suffering with a person. It's patikum, suffering with, getting down on the level of their suffering and helping them and comforting them and loving them. Compassion is a byproduct of mercy, in fact. Um, Luke 6.36 says, Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Compassion comes out of a heart of mercy. And the Father was merciful towards us and he sent his Son to accompany us, to get down on our level. I love what my mother says. She has analyzed her life. She's 88 years old. And she said, David, I figured it out. Um, my gift is mercy. My work is prayer. And my passion is giving. My joy is giving. My gift is mercy, my work is prayer, and my joy is giving. And then she'll add, I'll bake you a cake, but I'd much rather listen to your problems and help you solve them. She's got a gift of mercy. She's compassionate. In fact, these things, I think she's a compassionate woman because she has mercy, she prays, and she gives. She gives of her 
meager human resources when she has them. She gives up her time and her energy, even at 88 years old. She exemplifies the mandate of the Church of Jesus Christ. So that's what compassion is. It's suffering with somebody. It's taking what we have, bringing it to them, whether it's human resources or if we don't have human resources, we bring Jesus Christ. And in any case, compassion, every act of compassion, needs to be done in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ and what we have to offer a suffering world full of need and heartbreak. How do we carry it out? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, basically, uh, we do it the same way the Father in heaven showed mercy to us. Uh, when Jesus took it upon himself to come and to live with us, to get down on our level and to taste of our suffering and our death and our depravity. He took it upon himself. Can you imagine the scene? Jesus, the king of the universe, he's there in heaven and he's taking his scepter and he's laying it down and he's taking off his robes and the angels in heaven are aghast at the fact that he's going to take on humanity. That's how we do it. We go in the name of Jesus. Remember that Jesus said, even if you give a cup of water in my name, you shall receive your reward in heaven. Kathy's uncle, Bob, was a missionary in Haiti for 40 years. Then he came in his, uh, the, the winter of his missionary years and worked with us in France for eight years. And now he called me once in France. And he goes, David, I finally found my ministry. I am so excited. I go to the prison every day in Bradenton, Florida. And I spend all day at the prison. I don't go on Saturday but I turn around in circles in my living room waiting for, next, for Monday to come so I can go back to the prison. He takes movies into the prison and he shows movies and they discuss um, the Lord. He has seen hundreds of prisoners come to Christ. He's compassionate. He's going to die with his boots on. You know, Paul, nothing but death would stop the Apostle Paul. And that should be our motive and our motto as well as we try in the power of Jesus Christ to take compassion to the lost. We simply adopt Jesus' attitude towards others, especially the poor and the needy. We serve others. We don't serve ourselves. That's how we do it. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen that new movie that's just come out, Blindside. We had the privilege, I say, because I really liked the movie. Someone showed it to us while we were on this furlough. And there's one particular scene in that movie, if you've seen it. She's sitting at this posh restaurant with her friends, and they're kind of looking down their nose at her, wondering why in the world she's taken this young black fella into her life and into her home and is caring for him, and they think she's on a guilt trip and has to kind of... And she, so one of the ladies says to her, Oh, you are really changing the life of this boy. And she said, No, he's changing my life. And I think that's what happens as well when the church begins to reach out in the community and focus on the needs of others. We forget our own needs and we are changed in the process. In, in reality, there's really only two sides to compassion, I think. It's like a coin. You can't have one without the other. You can't take a ha one side of the coin off. Uh, you got two sides, but it's the same thing and they have to go together, heads and tails. It's one coin. And it's very, I just call the first side of compassion is the human side. 
It's, it's what we do with our resources and with our life and with our heart and with our attitudes and with our time and our energy. It's what we do to serve others. As simple as that. I am a man. I am a human. I have human resources. I have the ability to go. I have the ability to love, to put my arm around someone, to pray for them, to cry with them. And so that's the human side of compassion. It's just being there physically. Uh, You and I are the only venue through which compassion can express itself. God had compassion. The Father had compassion on us, but he didn't stay in heaven uh, and, and feel sorry for us in our sin. He came physically, bodily, and he got down on our level. And that's the one side of the coin. It's the human. It's the what you and I can do part of compassion. And it's that attitude, our expression of our service to the needy. Every single Christian, I believe, who's making a salary, who has a job, a part of their finances should be directed towards compassion. The church, I believe the church is going to be judged one day on its activities in the world and how it reached out in compassion. What is your budget? Don't tell me. How much of it is being directed towards meeting, serving the needs of others around you? What we can do, um, opening our hearts and our lives and our homes to the needy. Our son Joshua has a very tender heart. And his job, he works with an organization called um, Lutheran Services up in Boston. And he works with the refugees. These people are broken. They come into this country with nothing. And he surrounds them. He loves them. He helps them find jobs. That's compassion. The second side of this coin is simply the supernatural side, the spiritual side. It's what you and I can't do through our service. It's depending on the Lord Jesus Christ to take our acts of service and to multiply them and turn them into miracles. And so I like that because compassion is a partnership with God to accomplish his purposes in the world. And God has raised us up to be that venue through which he reaches out through us in compassion to the world. He started it with his compassionate heart. He just wants us to continue with the resources that he's given us in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. The supernatural part is also through the proclamation of the gospel, the gospel of truth, the gospel that transforms people's lives. This man's life was transformed. In the story, they come to Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me, and John, and, and they're, they're astonished. And, and the apostles say, well, why are you surprised? Don't, it's not like we did this in our own power. We did this through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And through faith in that name, this man has been completely healed, jumping and praising and worshiping God in the temple. So the supernatural comes through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I could tell you stories after story of how we have been astonished. We recognize this person, but they've changed. They're not the same person transformed through the compassion and through the gospel message. One time in France, there was a couple that we met, and um, they were very, very needy. And Kathy and I had some extra funds, so we bought them some groceries and uh, just took groceries to them because we knew they didn't have enough food to put on the table for their family. We took the groceries, and we offered it to them, and the wife, Clara, she said, she saw the groceries on the table. What is that? She said, well, it's just a gift from 
us to you. We know you're struggling and we'd just like to help you. She stood there in front of me. Her chin began to quiver. Her eyes welled up with tears. And she began to weep. I mean, weep uncontrollably. She came, she put her head on my chest and she just wept. And I held her. Doesn't sound like a whole lot. Just bought her some groceries because the Spirit guided us to do that. A few weeks later, we invited she and her husband to a weekend retreat that our church had planned. At that retreat, she opened up her heart to receive Jesus Christ. Two sides. Can you take groceries to someone? Of course you can. Can you change their heart? Of course you can't. God can. But it's through loving. It's through the church reaching out in love and compassion that the gospel begins to take on life, begins to breathe. And don't think for a minute that the name of Jesus Christ has lost any of its power. Just don't think that, ever. Because he's the same today as he was yesterday. He's the same for you. He's the same for your church. Suffer with those who suffer. Weep with those who weep. Go. You've got a body. You've got resources. Just go. Preach the gospel. See what the Lord does through your heart of compassion. André, and I'll close with this story. André um, works with us on our team in France, church planting team. He went through the process of adopting a little African boy from Togo. That little boy's name is Benjamin. He's three years old today. But there was a long process. And at one point, he had to go back down to Togo to spend several weeks for paperwork and what have you. And each time, they would spend time with their little baby that they were going to adopt. At one point, when they were there, one of the ladies brought out a little baby that was dying, high fever, um, and they'd already lost several children to this disease. And they, because André was a pastor, they brought this baby to him and they said, André, pray for this baby so that he may live and not die. André was taken aback. He thought, well, what do I do? I mean, is, is the Lord, Lord going to heal him? I'm not a healer. I've never prayed for healing. He took the baby and he held the baby. And he said simply, Jesus, you're the healer. And in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, I ask you to heal this baby. And within the half hour, the fever left this little baby and the baby was healed. Don't ever believe that today in the 21st century, with our technological age, that the name of Jesus Christ has lost any of its power. So I challenge each one of you, go in the name of Jesus, love your neighbors as yourself, get down on their level, reach out to them. Do what you can do. Because in fact, do what is just common for you and leave the extra part for God. If you do what you can do, what's common what's ordinary, things that you can do and that I can do, take groceries, give an extra blanket because a child is cold, God will show up and show off and he'll do the extra. And what it results in is an extra ordinary lifestyle. You do what's ordinary. Let God do the extra. And I guarantee you'll have an extraordinary adventure of faith as you walk with God. Thank you and God bless you. And uh, may he use this church, and I know he is already, to reach out in compassion to those around you who are suffering.